You know, one day just quitting your job and building a successful business instead is something many of us really only dream of. But Lachlan's actually done that. As the founder of Building With Bubble, which teaches aspiring founders how to write apps without code, Lachlan went from digital marketing freelancer to successful indie hacker. And we've just had the chance to have a very motivating conversation with him. I know Kelvin and I walked away from this one, ready to take a whole new deep dive on our own stuff. And I think you will too. Let's just jump right into it. We, we worked together at Hydric in 2016. And so it's been seven years. And so, yeah, so I've been roughly following your progress since then. Uh, like, and, you know, at marketing agencies and then consulting and then, and then the indie hacking journey. And so, yeah, I really want today just to really unpack that. And so Pat and myself are both going through a bit of an indie hacking adventure right now. We started using Twitter and we saw everyone was doing it. So we thought, why don't we get yeah, on that yeah. <laughs> You're on board. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I've been tossing it up for such a long time. Yeah, probably I took a month off to paint our house at the end of 2020 and just listen. I, I think I listened to start the Indie Hackers podcast, like as many episodes as I could. It's like crack, man. The second you listen to one, you just go down that rabbit hole, don't you? My job. But anyway, <laughs> sadly, I, uh, well, maybe not sadly, but I do have a wife that controls my impulses. Fair. So anyway. Fair. I did not. And this is where I am now. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's worked out for you, I think. So. Uh, but Pat and I are at different stages as well. I'm at zero. Pat's probably at one. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah. you're much past that. And so, yeah, that's that's really what I wanted to focus on today. Just, um, yeah, go through it and we'll ask you questions along the way. But I'd love to give you some context of where we're at as well. Please, um, yeah. Just, you said you were zero yeah. to one. Zero to one's the uh, by far the hardest. It's like the 80-20 rule. Like 80% of the work is zero to one. The rest is just gravy on top of it. But, yeah, let us know where you're at. Yeah, 100%. So, like, my background was I was um, a full-time developer, and then I, I started working on a side project that started getting some users. It was called 23Shout, which is basically just a um, call center app for your team. We got some I got some funding for that from a VC. So, that was my, you know, my brief little time where you feel really cool and awesome and, you know, you're VC funded. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out, and I had to go back and get another job. Uh, but that that really taught me that I didn't want to be like I didn't want to try and be the next Mark Zuckerberg, right? I didn't want to try and run a large company. I didn't want to try and play in these large the company spaces. Um, I just wanted to work on small projects. I, I, I really enjoy just working on small things and getting small things out. So I've just been trying to churn out as many small projects as possible. My goal this year is to churn out four. You know, we've said um, me and Kelvin both agree on the same thing, which is you can't engineer luck. You can't make yourself more lucky, but you can increase the surface area of your luck, right? The more For things sure. you do, the more likely it is that something lucky might happen and you'll actually get it right and make a product that really appeals to people. Um, so the first one I put out was actually really, really close to me. I lost my hearing at the start of the year. It's back now in case you're, in nice. case you're wondering. <laughs> I was like, how? <laughs> yeah. uh, and that, that was pretty eye-opening, just how horrible it is and how difficult it is to talk to people when something mm. like that happens. So I built an app called lugs.ai, which is essentially just sitting there transcribing everything uh, through nice. Whisper. Um, so it takes in all audio it can find, runs it through OpenAVI's Whisper model and gives you this really high quality um, live captioning service uh, coming out of it. And then you can sort of like plug that in, get transcripts, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's awesome. That's been number one. Number two is going to be like an MFA app and things like that. Number three is the podcast itself. 
And then number four, I was just discussing with Kelvin this morning, the goal is to get all those out by the end of the year. I'm trying to sort of increase the pace of that. Number one took way too long uh, to get out there, but I think I have a plan to try and get these out more rapidly. I'd love if next year my goal can be to get eight of these out and to double that. Um, yeah, wow. And, and just keep pumping out small products, small products, small products, and uh, and seeing what happens. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely on the indie hacker journey. Kelvin's just starting number one. Finally, I've always said to Kelvin that you um, offer a lot of feedback on my startups, and you've never run a startup, so he's finally it's doing the case, it. Isn't it? <laughs> I have a lot of experience in startups, but I don't have a lot of experience starting startups. Oh yeah, uh, and again, I've always struggled with time, but also like technically. I like technical problems. I struggle with product problems. Like, you know, the, what, what do you, uh, it's, so like technical problems are very objective. It's like it either works or it doesn't. Whereas when you start getting into subjectiveness of like marketing and, you know, copy and, you know, product design, all that stuff, I really struggle. Like yeah, it's, mm. it's almost like paralytic how much I struggle with, with that side of things. So it's a real journey for me to push through that. Uh, so I've started working on a language learning app. Uh, nice. basically like stitch together a whole bunch of AI tech so that I can have a native speaker to talk to 24 seven. Cool. Cause that's the hardest part. Like learning language, learning to read is quite like, it's simple. It's not, uh, easy necessarily. Like it takes a lot of work, but it's quite simple, right? You've got heaps of resources. You can always find stuff to read. You can always find stuff to listen to, but actually talking is a real showstopper for most people because you have to, you know, you, you know, you always start some, doing something badly before you get good at it. You've got to look like an idiot for a while when you start speaking a language for the first time. And you have to be willing to look like an idiot. And that's where most people struggle. But it's also finding somebody who is patient enough to listen to you struggle and help correct you along the way. But it's also okay. such an important part of language acquisition. And so that's what I'm trying to do is build. I'm trying to build that, like a just like an AI bot that corrects, you know, it's basically like a private tutor. Um, I love that. It's available to you all the time. What's crazy uh, so, is you mentioned yep. that um, like you've always loved the technical problems, but you've struggled with anything that's like on the marketing or sales side of things. I remember when I got into it, it was the complete opposite. So my background's in digital marketing. And I just remember always being an envy of developers. I was like, if only I could build something, if only I could create something, then I'd be able to market the shit out of it. And what's crazy with the whole indie hacking scene is it's done a complete 180 now. It's with no code and low code tools. Anyone can build pretty much anything or an MVP for anything. And now it's a marketing problem. It's like, okay, in a world where there's so much fucking software, it's like, how can you actually get attention? And attention's the hard thing, not the code in a way. Like it's, um, which is, yeah, we talked about before we started the show, we'll probably have some disagreements, but that's my first like uh, flag I'm gonna put in the uh, the sand there <laughs> is- uh put it in the yeah. ring. And like, no, I-, I never, I always used to resent myself for being a marketer. I was like, why can't I be a software developer? I should just learn how to code. I wasted my time at uni. I should have done computer science. Whereas now I'm like, thank God I learned how to market. I learned how to get attention. I learned how to get eyeballs. Um, and a lot of marketing is also related to things like growth and product as well. Like I think products that kind of overlap between development and marketing um and like that's been a graceful thing to learn but um yeah it's so strange like hearing your guys perspective versus kind of where i've come from as well it's really awesome to see the contrast what you just said is like the complete inverse for me right which is like i just sit there and i'm thinking god i wish i knew how to get more eyeballs on my apps right like i can see what other people are doing i hear their recommendations i try and do it myself and it's just like it's just like painful for me whereas opening up that editor 
and and just getting started coding is just like it's just it's like it's second nature. Um, yeah. But yeah, getting the name out there is just hard. It's just hard. Yeah, and it's a real safety zone, right? As an engineer, mm-hmm. it's always like oh, I'll just keep adding another feature. I'll just keep adding another feature. Mm-hmm. When when I think you you are right there. You got to get it in front of people. You got to validate early. And man, it's hard when it's like, oh, I could just tweak this thing or add this other cool feature that will just make it a little bit better, which doesn't yeah. matter if nobody knows about it. One of the, nobody actually wanted it, right? <laughs> exactly. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned, um, so long story short, I got into um, <clears throat> using no-code tools. There's a tool called Bubble in particular, um, which is a very powerful tool. Um, and then I was like, wow, I finally have this superpower where I can build software. And similar to you guys, I just went crazy i was like feature here feature there i just got drunk on features essentially then for the first time in my life i i, I was wearing more of a developer hat than a marketer's hat and then when, when i released the product it was just radio silence there was no one there um and i just remember thinking at the time i was like yeah i really got to take this back and one of the biggest lessons i had was the best mvp should be a cold email it shouldn't even be a product it should be emailing someone and being like this is a product I'm thinking of building. Do you have this problem? Here's a Stripe payment portal. Hand me the money now and I'll build it for you. <laughs> like, And that's literally how I validated my business. Someone tweeted me and they were like, hey, so I, I don't do anything technical. I make video courses. It's it's, it's media. It's, it's nothing technical. Um, but yeah, someone was like, hey, can you make this video course for me? And I was like, would you pay for it? And they were like, yep, sent them a payment link. They paid for it in advance. Then I went and recorded it. Um, and that worked, man, when that happened, I was like, holy fuck, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. Like, and if I was to have to restart a business, I wouldn't even touch even a no code tool. I would just get an email list of all my target customers, connect with them on LinkedIn. And I would just send thousands of cold emails. I would jump on hundreds of calls, which is probably like a nightmare for you guys. But like, I love that shit, but I would just, yeah, try and get as much feedback as I can to first of all, realize, am I wasting my time? If this is a failure, at least I didn't spend six months trying to build the product. Um, But then also just trying to, I guess, build real connections with your customers to uh, get that valuable feedback. And even ask, just be like, is this something you would genuinely pay for? People always tell you yes, then being like, put your money where your mouth is. Like, here's a Stripe payment portal, like pay for it right now. And if they don't, you don't have product market fit, unfortunately. If they do, go to the races and build that as quickly as you can. How did you send them a payment portal? Like, what did you set up for that? Was it literally just like... So Stripe with a payment link or? Yeah, literally just go into Stripe, build a product, give it whatever description you want, upload a logo, make it look official. <laughs> Stripe's checkout pages look beautiful, man. <laughs> you don't need to do anything. Like, And then, yeah, just put in, it was $29. It was very small amount. But once I got $29, I was like, this is real now. Like someone actually yeah, is yeah. paying me money. I'm I'm responsible. I have to deliver this. And look, worst case scenario, if you can't deliver it, refund the money. Refund and be like, the money. Hey, I really tried, um, you know, but I want to do the right thing, give you your money back. Like no harm done. Um, you, you learn something from it. So that so startups for the rest of us is another podcast I listen to. Um, I, I listen to it a lot, not so much lately. But yeah, one of the lines that always stuck with me from them was, "You haven't validated a product until somebody has paid for it." Very and true. I really love that, right? And it's probably not necessarily true for like large VC funded companies that you know need a lot of users or going for a lot of users, but definitely in the indie hacking scene, right? Like, a free user is all well and good, but if nobody's willing to, you could have tens of thousands of free users, but if nobody's willing to pay for it, then it's not a valid idea. For sure. So, Even like when I, 
I refuse to use the U word. Users, no. Customers, yes. I don't have users, I have customers. Users use your product, customers pay for it. Like, I'm not a charity. I'm not giving shit away for free. Like, I'm, I'm transacting. I'm providing value. I want value back from it. So, yeah, unless you are building something that is of that scale, Kelvin, like, I yeah. only talk in the word of customers, never users. Oh, man. I suddenly feel motivated to start cold <laughs> <laughs> No, I feel motivated to get my wife to start cold emailing people because Natty is a gun. She is a sales gun. I I remember. (laughs) Maybe you can um, convince Kelvin. I was telling Kelvin that he needs to, he was saying, Patrick, before I even give it to you, before I give it to anyone else, I need a way to track how much money each user is spending. And I was like, no, Kelvin, you just need to to go out there right now and you need to look at your credit card bill and that's going to tell you how much is being spent. It'll freaking bankrupt me. It costs so much to run. It's costing me $60 a month to run it. But you can just, you can just, but what's, what's faster? Users, uh, a way to track users and, 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 and billing or just a way to shut down remote access for everybody if it gets a bit too expensive and you can say, thanks everybody for coming to the trial. Let's pick it up next week. All right. Okay. Yeah, fair. All right, you've convinced me. You guys me. ever seen the midwit meme? No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this this chart where on one side you've got the complete idiot and then it's a graph that goes up and then back down. In the middle you've got the midwit, which is Kelvin, and it's the guy that tries to over-engineer and overcomplicate everything. And then on the other side you've got the Jedi, and the idiot and the genius look the exact same. Like they do the same <laughs> thing. The simplest way to do something is the best way to do it, and that's kind of the point of the meme. And it's kind of like, I remember, so I was a digital marketer and we were all like data driven. We got to track everything. The only thing I track these days is the money that comes into my bank account. And like, that is what the idiot would say. And that is what the genius would say. Like, that's the only uh, thing I care about. That's yeah, my yeah. North Star is how much I get paid. And as an indie hacker, that's true. If you've got a VC backed company, that advice probably isn't for you. Um, but like, yeah, that's the only thing I care about. And so if I change something where if I release more video courses, I obviously saw, see more money come into my bank and I'm like, okay, that's the strategy I obviously need to do. Let's just keep pouring attention into that and money will pour into my bank account. So like, don't overthink it, man. The simplest way is the easiest way. What is it? Is the Lindy effect? There's a proper like term for it where, yeah, the simplest way is the, uh, the best way to do it. It's not oh, the Lindy effect. Yeah. Like Occam's Razor? Occam's Razor. That's the one. Yeah. Beautiful. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very it's nice. two days in a row I've been talking about Occam's Razor. That's crazy. I was just explaining Occam's indie hacking indie. yesterday to my grandparents. They're like, oh, I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Occam's Razor. They're like, I don't get it. I'm like, okay, whatever. The wrong, wrong target audience. <laughs> Occam knew what was up. <laughs> yeah, it's just why I'm quitting my job again, man. <laughs> I love it. All right, I've got two takeaways already. I'm going to go back through the uh, this recording and, and make sure I write them down at the end. But yes, I will. I'm going to start doing cold outreach uh, and get a payment profile set up, uh, payment portal set up, and maybe even with subscriptions. And I've actually got a guy at work was asking me if he could get access to the app. And he's tech, but he doesn't want to build it himself. So if he's yeah. willing to start a subscription to pay for it, I'll give it to him. For sure. And it's even like... um. I mean, YC always says this, the whole do things that don't scale. In the beginning, you're probably like, oh, I need to bake in some sort of like paywall feature in the app. So if he doesn't renew his subscription, he doesn't get access. If he doesn't renew, man, just go into the database and manually delete him. <laughs> like it'll take you what, less than five minutes? Like, yep. but he, he won't know the difference. He'll probably think it's some automated thing. Set a reminder in your computer that's like, check to see if his subscription went through. Do that for the first 10 people. Yeah, it might get time consuming, but once you realize you're like, okay, I actually need this, then you can go and validate the time building it out. 
What's your opinion on monetization strategies? Because there's been a lot of um, a lot of chit chat on on indie hacking Twitter lately. Yeah, you know, I'm a big I'm a big Twitter user. There's a different thing every week that they're talking it's about. It's X. Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. On X, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's there's a new post on X every week that, that everyone's talking about. And the latest one was about people who do one off payments for their uh, their products rather than yes. MRR. And the big advice is drop one off payments. They may make you more sales in general, but Overall, it's just going to be far less profitable. Was yeah. that sort of your stance on that as well? I'm the complete opposite on that as well. Um, yeah. So it depends on your product um, and your retention in particular. So mm. with my product, I sell online courses. And I always say I don't sell courses. I sell aspirations, essentially. So people, mm-hmm. when they buy a course, they want to validate that they're making progress. They're feeling good about certain things. Um, and I when they're in that period, they're willing to spend a lot of money um, because mm-hmm. education is one of those very few B2C products where it's kind of B2B in a way because like it will help their career. They will get a return off it. People go into tens of thousands of dollars of debt for university, college to kind of further their education. Um, and if I ever did monthly subscriptions, I would lose a customer at three months um, just because that's when people lose motivation. People are lazy essentially. Um, so what I do is just charge a very bulk amount upfront. That's more than even the three month subscription. Um, and when people are feeling good, they drop that money. Um, and then, yeah, it's not up to me if they hang around, I don't have to worry about the retention side of things then. Um, which is, you know, different for every other business. If you've got a SaaS, yes, I see the value in having, if someone's going to stick around for years, like, yeah, you probably will lose more money if they uh, hang around and actually use your product quite a bit, particularly in Kelvin's case with the $60 uh, fees that he's got there. Um, But yeah, it's, it's truly contextual, man. Like it's, um, it's just based on what you're doing. What are you thinking? You're going monthly revenue or are you going lifetime? I went. I went lifetime because the whole thing with uh, with lugs was that it was completely offline, runs on your computer. The competitors have to charge monthly because they just stream everything up to the cloud and they have bills to pay. Yep. Um, but with me, there's no cost associated at all. Right? It doesn't even cost me bandwidth if you download the thing. Um, so that was the idea: just keep it low cost, one off payment, which has been working well. There's very little objection to people actually buying this thing. For them, it's just like, oh, okay, well, it's a it's a cheap cost. The problem is, when I talk to businesses and they hear the price, they're almost suspicious because it's far too low. Uh, a lot of them will get approached by other companies for three thousand dollars a month to have this. That's service what you need to be similar. building at then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the other thing as well is that. Um, if you get, let's say, like a $30 subscription versus a $300 lifetime payment, your motivation difference or your kind of, um, you're going to be much more motivated to work on something where you're getting $300 at once. That dopamine hit is going to be fucking huge. And the yeah. other thing as well is you don't have to worry about churn. Churn is fucking brutal, man. Nothing is more immoralizing yeah. than seeing that someone didn't value what you built in the world. Calvin, it's like saying your child, nah. We're canceling them. You'd be like, fuck, the thing I created is not useful to the world. It's like, well, I as a person failed because I'm a bad parent. That's exactly what it feels like. Your product is your Mm. child. Everyone's like, separate, you know, your product from you. They're not the same. Fuck off. That product is my DNA. I built it. Like it is me through Mm. and through. Um, And so when, if you can eliminate churn, like your motivation is just going to continually be there, essentially. Like you're going to be much Mm. more motivated to work on it. And how do you feel around like that early validation? Because he said that building a product is like building a child. And it, like it really is. It's like when I, when I said when, when 23 Shout died, it was like losing a pet. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was something that I'd worked on for years tirelessly. And to see it go away in that period was just 
like brutally devastating. And I know that's the case of a lot of other founders who went through the program as well and the cohort. Do you ever have that? Have you ever experienced anything like that? How do you get over that? And I I guess you're almost thankful in the early days if validation fails because it's almost just like, well, thank God I didn't actually waste my time building for months something that get a prototype out there uh, that nobody actually wanted. But you thought it was a good idea, right? 100%. Look, I've been through both ends of the spectrum. So I had seven failed products before I got number eight, which is what Mm -hmm. I'm doing now. And those seven weren't all just cold emails. I spent years building the first probably three or four and they mm. all failed and yeah. it's soul crushing it is absolutely soul crushing but you just need to remember that no one cares no one's going to feel sorry for you and be like oh actually now that you posted a really sad tweet i'm gonna you know pay for your service that's not how it works people yeah. are just like hey, i'm living my life i don't care about you like brush yourself off get back up and try again it's it's soul crushing man but like you just build this resilience over time and that's really the only way to do it. And then you learn from it. I always say that the easiest way to learn is by learning the hard way. It's like, just get in, get dirty, learn some valuable lessons that like, um, big one for me was always like, don't build a product, validate it before you, you know, get money before you build the product. And I remember yeah. thinking like, I'm different. Trust me. People don't work yeah. as hard as me. People aren't as motivated as me. I'm not different from everyone apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it's like, yeah. I now know after failing, I was like, okay, I will never build a product before I validate it again. Um, so, yeah, I completely get it, man. But just remember that, like, no one cares. Like, no one's going to feel sorry for you, which sucks. As a founder, it's fucking hard. In the same vein of that, no one cares if your product is better than everyone else, right? If they've never heard of it or if that hasn't been sold to them, it doesn't, like, purely solve their need. They just don't care. Like, you can make the most schmick thing ever that's way better than your competitor, Sorry, I'm watching Kelvin just like literally taking notes on everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, this is a masterclass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually having trouble. Like, I need to stay focused because now I'm just thinking about, okay, who can I charge money to? Who can I actually get this in front of? Uh, yeah. So, man, it's super. Like, yeah. I, I, I love It's funny because I've heard that same advice on podcasts before, but when you talk to somebody directly, it's amazing how much more impactful advice can be, especially somebody you know. I don't know, because it's like that detachment between, you know, like a hypothetical scenario um, where it's these people that you don't know versus somebody that you do know or you're talking to them face to face. Yeah, really, really impactful. No, absolutely. I think think we should stop, take a step back, because I'd love to know how you transitioned from digital marketing at Hydric and then got into indie hacking. And like, was that a linear journey? Was that where you were going? Or was it kind of chopping and changing? I don't know. Like, walk us through. Good question. So I remember when I worked at Hydric, which Kelvin was correct me wrong, it was Product Studio. I was hired as like an internal marketer. It was my first job out of uni. I was 20, 21 at the time. I was a child. I knew nothing. And I remember we used to be able to work from home and that was my first job ever. I came back from a background of retail sales. So I did a lot of sales stuff throughout uni. And I just remember being able to work from home and I was like, holy shit, like this is the good stuff. I was like, this is great. But back in 2016, this is before a pandemic. This is before remote work tools. Um, and there was always this stigma for probably not so much for developers, but for people like marketers, if you wanted to get paid good money and like have a good income or a good job, you had to kind of work your way up the corporate ladder. And the way you do that is you go work for a big consulting firm. You'd be there, you'd overwork yourself. You would had to be there in person. And I just remember thinking, I was like, oh, I wish that like I could sustainably work from home. Like I wish I could work from home in my pajamas whenever I wanted on my own times on things I love. And I wish it had career progression. And I was like, 
it's a nice thought. We'll we'll park that over and then we'll jump back on like the, the grind. And then long story short, I left Hydric, worked at like another couple few startups, agencies, as you mentioned, Kelvin. And I was just never happy where I was. There was just this internal thought in my head that was like, um, you could always do this for yourself or I hated the idea of not having control. So being, um, you know, every year it comes around to your review, for instance, and your boss is like, hey, you know, this is how I think you did and how they think you did is different to how what you thought you did. So like your whole career is in someone else's hands. They have control over that. And that just blew my mind that I was like, why am I putting my destiny, my life in someone else's hands? Um, and then I just had a bunch of experiences where I had a lot of bosses later on in my career that let me down constantly. And I was just like, well, if these idiots can do it, like, why can't I just go and create a business? <laughs> like, which is it's not a very polite thing to say, but it's just like, it's the truth. I was just sick of it. I'm sure so many people out there are just working jobs that they disagree with, or they think that they could run it better yet. They never take the risk. And so mm. essentially what I did, Calvin, was I was always good with money. I've always been a tight ass, frugal, if you want to make it sound like I'm, I'm more, <laughs> smarter than I am. Um, but I essentially just saved up $100,000 over the space of like five years. I never spent money on anything that wasn't towards my goal. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I was like, why am I even working? I have, I figured out my burn rate at the time was $20,000 a year. And I was like, I have five years of runway to make something happen. Yeah. If I can't make something happen in five years, I'm an absolute idiot and I have to go back and get a job. Um, but then what I also did was while I was doing kind of made the transition to indie hacking. So I quit my full-time job, May, 2019. And I was like, this is when I'm going all in on it. Um, I still did a little bit of consulting here and there. So that way I'd make $20,000 a year, nothing more, nothing less. I cover my burn rate. So that way I had infinite runway essentially. Um, and that's what you can do. And I think the big thing that scares people is that, uh, they worry, like if I quit my job, like this is it. But if you work it was a good saying. It was like, if you have a side project, you're getting underpaid at your job. If you work in the tech industry, if you're a marketer, you work a product, you work as a developer, like these are all sought after skills. You could always go back and get a comfortable job that pays you at least $80,000 a year, which I'm sure you guys are probably going to laugh at that figure. But like as a marketer, like that's kind of the base bottom of what you would expect. That's more money than I would ever spend in a year. Like as a person myself, like, so if, if I think that if that's the worst that's going to happen... I'm fine. I'm sweet. Like I'm an idiot if I don't take this risk, if that makes sense. And how do you motivate yourself? Because I, I, I was in that position at, at one point where I, I just felt like I had to quit my job. You know, I was in, in my head, I was just like, how many opportunities, how many opportunities, how many opportunities am I going to get like this in my entire life, right? Where I'm actually making, you know, a couple of grand a year, a couple of grand a month, sorry, coming in off my side project. Like this doesn't happen to everyone. It doesn't happen very often. I need to quit my job and focus on it full time. Um, and that for that for me was like a month or two of just like hyping myself up, hyping myself up, and then finally booking that meeting with HR. How for you did you hype yourself up to actually go full time? So leading into that, I had a bunch of side projects that I was doing outside of work. And I just remember that when I was at work, I would essentially work from home. And I mean, you guys probably know this as well, but eight hours of work is not eight hours of work. We're not doing physical work where eight hours equates to eight hours of an outcome. I would just condense everything I would do into four hours. I would work my fucking ass off throughout the morning. And then I just spend four hours on my side projects in the afternoon. And then at nighttime, I'd still work on my side projects. And so like, it just infatuated me and <clears throat> kind of took over. So it was already something like I was already doing, but I just remember thinking, I was like, if only I had that first four hours of my day, 
as opposed mm. to that last four hours, um, I could get so much more done. I also just had a bunch of scenarios where like I couldn't keep a job. Like I just, every three months I'd move jobs, essentially. They'd pay me more. I'd think, yeah, this is the solution. No, it wasn't. I was just miserable where I was. And like, it truly just started making me depressed essentially. And I was like, this isn't it. Like I figured out now after being at three different jobs that like culturally I'm not going to fit in because I don't want to work for someone else. I want to be in control of my destiny again, like Mm. similar to what I mentioned. Um, And it's very liberating to be honest is when you're like, okay, shit, like I've quit my job. I have a blank canvas. Let's make art. And do you think it actually made that big difference, that big leap when you did go full time as well? Definitely. Absolutely. It freed up so much more time. Um, even just like increase the quality of my life because instead of having to work late into the nights, I could just work all day and then spend more time with my partner now. Um, so like our relationship was better for it. I could, um, I certainly was more stressed at the time, but, um, again, I wasn't really in a position where I was financially stressed. So that was such a relief. Um, but it was like that because I made it like that. I, I put in, you could say, six years beforehand saving up because I, my friends always used to make fun of me. They were like, what are you saving for? It's so pointless. Are you buying a house? And I was like, no, I just, I know one day I'm going to need this money. And like, yeah, I did essentially. And like, uh, you know, you could argue that the six years before that was part of the journey as well. Mm. And I love that. It's such a different journey. So my mentality and the mentality of, most of the people that I know is that like work hard, again, get get paid more, career progression, save up a bunch of money, buy a house or like buy, buy your first property, right? And then maybe save up some more money and buy another property or, but it's that like, it's that mentality of get yourself into a lot of debt so that you need to continue working to sustain that debt. And it's something that I think I've partially fallen into the trap and partially not. Like we live pretty frugally, but we do have a mortgage on a fairly expensive house. And so, uh, and it's it's always been that, all right, now we've got the debt, let's pay off the debt. Instead of like, I've got some runway. And, you know, if you look at rent, if you look at a mortgage payment like rent, then it's much easier to justify that that's just an outgoing, right? It's just an expense. Whereas if you look at it like we do, which is a debt that we're trying to pay off, it's this constant overhanging thing that it's like, okay, actually, I need to pay off the debt. I need to get rid of that debt. And so instead yep. of using any money that you've potentially got saved up as a you know, runway to start a business, it's actually I'm still X hundred thousand dollars in a hole that I need to dig my way out of. So yep. I just love the fact that you went down a completely different path. You're like, yes, I've got this money, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to do the thing that just puts me in the rut that I need to continue working to, to sustain. And you've just been like, okay, great. I've now got a runway. Let's see where I can go. One of my favorite sayings is, uh, so you know how everyone says rent money is dead money because it goes nowhere, essentially. If rent money is dead money, time employed is dead time. And time is our greatest asset. If you yeah. don't have equity in the value you're creating at work, you're wasting your life, essentially. That's the way I see it. <laughs> Yeah, Very, yeah. How do you know when it's time to move on from an idea? Because for me, it was uh, you often see founders who will just throw every last cent and bit of effort that they have into mm. their idea, and it's just going nowhere. They will literally throw their lives into something they've been working on for six years, and they'll still have you know the same customers, the same product, no actual real sales engine that's working for them, no growth trajectory. Uh, and and I see that I'm just like you're wasting your time. You have a talent to build these things, but you're wasting your time on something that's not working. And for me at 23, I knew it was time when I sat down on one weekend and I opened up my code editor and I was working on a side project. And then somewhere in the back of my head, I just registered after an hour, 
okay, I'm done with 23. Like, I don't want to do this anymore, right? Is yeah. there, what, what's your way? How, like, how do, you, how do you know when you, you should just move on? Yeah, you'll have a visceral feeling where you're just burnt out thinking about mm-hmm. the idea. But the actual tangible best way you can test this is just by taking the domain down. And then if someone emails you and they're like, hey, your site's broken, yeah, keep working on it. If someone doesn't, no one notices, shut that thing down because no one gives a fuck. Like, move on then. Like, the amount of times, you you will know when you've got the right thing. Trust me. It is, yeah, you will know. <laughs> like, and it's not just, oh, in the next month, you know, like, oh, I'll hopefully have an extra, you know, 10 people using it. It's like, holy shit, I can't keep up with this. Um, and even as an indie hacker, I remember people used to tell me that exact same advice. And I was like, oh, of course, they're VC-backed companies. They're going to have hundreds of thousands of people using their product at once course they can't keep up with it but even as an indie hacker as a one person team if you've got you know five customer support emails because they love your product so much they're asking for new features like you will know that you can't keep up with that so yeah you got product market fit essentially like so try and just i would always say like um try and just take your website down for just a weekend for a week see what happens and then if no one complains move on Yeah, I, I do like, I, I really like that because it's a really quantitative way of being, it's not just a gut feeling. It's like, okay, I'm actually running an experiment here. And yeah, I think also there'd be a sense of relief. Like if you take it down and nobody contacts you, if you have a sense of relief out of that, it's, I, that would also be a good indicator. It's like, well, I honestly didn't want to be working on this anymore. It's hard to be honest with yourself sometimes. Uh, I'm reading David Goggins' book at the moment. And one of the, I don't know if you know who David Goggins is. Of course I know. Yeah. Okay, cool. I was talking to a man and they don't know who David Goggins is. respect to our forefathers. <laughs> but um, yeah, like one of the things in his book is that, again, he's, he has sections where he just talks about how to be brutally honest with yourself. And yeah. at first I'm like, oh, no, actually, I think I'm pretty honest with myself. But then you actually look and it's like, I'm not. I'm, there's, there are these little, little platitudes that I'm telling myself um, or like these truths that I'm avoiding. And so, uh, yeah, I think that, that ties into it as well, right? Like if you can, in Pat's scenario where it's like, I just don't want to be doing this anymore. It's like, okay, that's that honest truth to yourself. It's hard to swallow, but man, you feel good after you've done it. Cause you're like, okay, actually, yes, I've processed this. I can now move on with my life. For sure, man. Failure is such a therapeutical thing as well. I remember there's key points in my life based around key failures and knowing that you're at rock bottom is a beautiful thing. You feel sick in your stomach. You can't eat, can't poop. Like it's just, it's like going through a heartbreak. But the beautiful thing about it is you think if this is the worst that happens, I'm okay. Still have a house, still have food. And guess what? I have all the time in the world now to create something else. And like, that is a beautiful feeling. I have to say like, and you don't realize it until you finally get to where you want to be. And you look back and you're like, oh, that was a beautiful time when I, you know, I had this new idea and I got to focus all my attention on it. Everything was exciting again because it was fresh. It was new. Like I always look back at moments like that and I'm like, yeah, I didn't appreciate the failure for what it truly was at the time, but it was a nice thing. Mm. I saw one of your tweets um, when I was stalking you before this, <laughs> before this uh, podcast. So it was like, you, it was your first profitable product. I think that you decided yep. to shut down, and I oh, think yeah. that's what you, you really was. went back here. <laughs> I've been yeah, yeah. it a long time, so I know you did your homework. <laughs> I was just oh, I was just scrolling through, and that one caught my eye. And 
I was wondering how that fit in because you said like you know you knew it was tough, but you knew it was the right decision. And w- was that something similar? Like you just it wasn't a product for you, or you didn't see a growth, you didn't see it growing, or what was the deal with that one? So I feel like this is where Pat and I are going to have a disagreement here, a healthy disagreement, of course. I always used to be under the impression that the more products I have, the more likely I will be to have one that's successful. Similar to what you mentioned, Pat, the whole mm. runway for serendipity or runway for luck, as they say, or surface area for serendipity. Like 100% agree with you. That makes so much sense. I then realized that the most valuable asset I have isn't my time. It's my attention. You can waste time building stuff without attention and you've just done nothing. But what you need to do is actually tip your thoughtful attention, uh, in my case, into one particular thing. And if I've got this I guess, funnel where at the top of it is the attention I tip in, at the bottom is the outcome, which in my case is dollars generated. All I want to do is tip as much time as I can into that one bucket. And guess what? If the attention goes in and doesn't come out the other side as money, I know, okay, I actually accelerated the process of realizing that, shut it down, move on to the next thing. As opposed to if I've got four buckets and I'm trying to drip feed all of these at once, they slowly come through. I personally find that I don't get to the result as quickly as I need to. Um, so that's why I shut that business down. It, it was profitable, but I realized I was like, this isn't it, essentially. I was like, "There's." I had an opportunity to do what I'm doing now, uh, which is the course business. Um, and I just, I had this inkling. I was like, this is where I should be putting my attention into. And I was like, I don't want to split my time between two things. I need to focus on one thing. That being said, on the counter argument, there are people that just are wizards and they're the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. And it tends to be people with ADHD. They're very good at working across multiple things and growing all things at once. I'm, I'm not that and I'm okay with that. But yeah, you just kind of got to realize what you have and what's going to work best for you. That probably falls into the product founder fit bucket, kind of, right? Because, you know, you know, as a founder, you might have like three or four small products that don't require a lot of work each or, and that suits your personality type. Um, yeah. Where As opposed to, yeah, someone like monofocus, do one thing, do it to its completion or its logical completion and move on. There's um, this argument in indie hacker world where it's, do you have a portfolio of small bets or do you just bet big on one thing? And the way I see it is, I don't want to win small. I want to win big. Like, why, why would I bet small? Like, I'm I'm going all in, baby. Like, I, I want to go to the moon with it. Like, um, So that's why I just place big bets on big things at once. Can you run us through, say, so, yeah, so you're in a course business now uh, and that's the Build It With Bubble. Is that right? Yes. The name? Yeah. Uh, so... That's and that's where you've had your most success. This is kind of what you're still working on now. Is that right? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I don't really, uh, I don't really share much. And this is something you'll learn in indie hackers is that the people who make the most noise aren't really the people doing the best. Uh, when you have something that works, you just shut your mouth and you just put all your time into that. You don't worry about tweeting about it because that takes away from the time you can actually be working on the business. So it's doing well, and that's kind of where I just put all my time and attention. Yeah, that's awesome. And because I, I wondered about that as well, yeah, because some people are just prolific on Twitter. Like you look at Peter Levels, for example, and he's just yes. always tweeting. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I actually did wonder about that because, you know, you, you post some things on Twitter, uh, but less so recently, right? Like you were tweeting a lot more years back and now you've slowed down a bit. And that's because you've just got all your attention focused on what actually what. Yeah. I think once you get to a certain point as well, you have more to lose from being public about what you're doing because you can have competitors, you can have people trying to copy you. Uh, whereas in the beginning, that's never a concern. It's a good thing to talk about what you're doing because then people might see it and be like, oh, that's a cool product. I'll use it. I'll pay for it. 
Um, so there's more to gain, but once you get to a certain point, there's so much more to lose. So how, and I just wanted to go through how did, what, what was the transition? Cause you mentioned, uh, like you didn't know how to build things. And so that was a problem, but then you found bubble and then you started actually building products with bubble. That was your first, um, like some of your first experiments or was that while you were like, were you using bubble as to build your side projects while you were still working? Good question. So my first product idea was, um, do you guys know what Dribble or Behance is? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a portfolio it's, site for designers, essentially. It's and where I, I remember, steal all my design from. Exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same. She lives on, lives on them both. <laughs> and I remember one day after work, I was sitting down with a UX designer and she was just telling me about how she like landed this freelance gig through Dribble. And I was like, what's Dribble? Like, it sounds like a funny name. And then I went on the site and I was like, holy shit. Like, why does this not exist for marketers? So at the time I was, before I started building like actual products and projects, I built like a personal brand for myself. So I treated myself like a product. I'd have a podcast, I'd host events, I'd write blog posts, just about marketing stuff that I'd learned. And it was great because I was able to like get a bunch of jobs. People would give me inbound offers because they'd see what I was creating essentially. And they loved the value I was creating. Um, And I just remember thinking, I was like, this is kind of like a hack in the sense of growing my career. Like when I apply for a job, I don't even have to hand a resume and they just go to my LinkedIn profile, uh, see what I've done. And I just immediately get an interview. And I was like, "Why, why can't everyone else have that? And so what I wanted to create was essentially dribble for digital marketers. And that was the first product idea I had. And I didn't know how to code. So I tried to reach out to a developer. Um, and then I was like, this isn't moving fast enough. I need a solution. And then I stumbled across Bubble. Then I spent three months trying to build that kind of in a vacuum. And I just learned how to use Bubble, which is truly an insane product, man. I remember I looked at it and I was like, holy shit. Like, I have magic at my fingertips now. I can create any product I want and it's a legitimate product. It's not just like some Wix website. Like it's a full dynamic crowd application. And I was like, this is insane. This is what the future of software should be. And then coincidentally uh, at the time, I'm going to take you on a tangent here. Sorry. No, please do. <laughs> so I built the platform. I launched it and... As part of like the whole building a portfolio, the idea was that you would write case studies about the marketing strategies you were using. And when I discovered Bubble, I was like, this product is insane. Their marketing as a company is horrible. And I was like, what would I do if I worked at Bubble? So I wrote this like 3,000, 5,000 word case study. And I was like, if I worked at Bubble, these are the exact Facebook ads I'd run. This is the SEO strategy I'd do. And I put that on my like dribble clone essentially. And then I emailed it to the founder of Bubble. His name's Emmanuel. And then I was like, by the way, like, are you guys looking for jobs? And he was like, yeah, we'll hire you. Will you move to New York? And I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, well, <laughs> we can have you as a contract writer then. And so they essentially said, um, we're going to create this blog series where we just want you to clone every single product using Bubble and you need to write a blog post about it. So they were like, here's Airbnb. Talk about the steps you'd like went through in bubble to actually rebuild that product. Here's Uber, here's Instagram. And they published that. And that was huge for them. It was a massive SEO strategy that worked very well. And then from that, I essentially had a bunch of people reach out and they were like, will bubble make a video series of this because blog posts are hard to follow, particularly if they skip a step. Um, People were more visual learners like myself. And then I just remember being like, no, they're not doing it. They're not interested. Sorry. Like it is what it is. And then one day someone was like, um, would you make a video yourself? And I was like, 
would you pay for it? Here's the Stripe link. Like, and that's kind of the story of how I got to where I am now. That's amazing. I'm so impressed that you actually reached out to the founder of Bubble. Like, yeah, it's not something I would have even thought to do. crazy how many people respond to you. So I remember I DM'd the founder of Dribble, sorry, the CEO of Dribble as well. And I was like, hey, man, I'm building Dribble for digital marketers. Can we jump on a call? And he was like, sure, man. And I was like, holy shit. Like, people are just, (laughs) people are happy to help. People want to help because they either see a younger version of themselves in you or they just know how hard it was going through that process. Like if someone genuinely reaches out to me and they're normal, I'll caveat that. If you're like, hey, you know, I, I desperately need this. You're my hero. Like just just be a normal human being. Treat them normal. Be like, hey, um, I specifically just want to ask you these three questions. I respect your time. You can respond. I'll send them through in a Google Doc if it's easier. If you want to jump on a half an hour call though, it'll be half an hour. I won't take a minute longer. Um, and just be respectful. People absolutely give you the time. I think that's that's the key. I think the fact that you ask, but also ask like a normal person, not like a crazy, I think that, that goes a long yes. way. But honestly, <laughs> so. I wouldn't even think to do it. I, and I don't know if that's like a personal like a personal fear or something that I need to work through myself. But yeah, because I, I, I quite like talking to people. I've got no problem talking to people, but I just have that fear of reaching out to somebody unknown and taking up their time. I guess, um, like, as I said, my background's in sales before I even got into marketing and like rejection is just the daily thing. Like if you don't get rejected, you're not doing your job properly. So like, yeah. what's the worst they're going to do? Say no, life will go on. Yeah. Or not respond. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And how so much be- of your time should you actually be spending per day? Like actually going on sales versus product development versus marketing versus actually building a startup and things like that. Cause I know Kelvin and I have trouble with sales. Uh, yeah. Like if I, I'm not afraid of a phone, I can pick up a phone and I can call someone I don't know, but I would just like in my head, I would much prefer to be spending that time doing literally anything else rather than cold <laughs> yes. calling people, you know, cause uh, there, there is that okay. point where, you know, early on you, the people would just like flat out rude. Like this yeah, really? is, okay. yeah, this is actually kind of incredible. So that very was, different um, experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But like how much time yeah. should you actually be spending? Is there like a, a split percentage rule or anything around that? Or is it just day to day? It comes in seasons. So yep. in the beginning, you should be in sales season. Mm-hmm. Then you should be in development season, which you guys would be your favorite season, obviously. And yep. then after that, it comes marketing season. And then it's probably back to development. Um, you just need to be able to wear multiple hats. So you need to be good at a lot of things and great at none. Um, most founders do have that kind of one thing they come from a background in. For me, it was marketing. For you guys, it's development. So like that is your main competency that you always have, but you do need to be able to branch out and be okay at some other things. Um, so for me, it's very seasonal. And as I said, the cycle starts sales, development, marketing is the way it tends to go. And do you, do you think that there's any risk for marketers getting into startups? Because the big risk for programmers and, you know, VCs know this and they don't want to t- uh, take on uh, solo programmers when they're funding companies, right? I was flat out told this, like, we do not do this, Patrick. You need to find a co-founder uh, because programmers will just lean into product development. They won't sell. They won't do marketing. They won't do anything. To them, every problem is a programming problem. Is there something yeah. similar for marketers as well? How the tides have turned, hey? I remember hearing stories of like, we're even just watching like Silicon Valley, the show, and it's just like back in 2008, it's like, I have an idea, I built it. Great, here's $10 million. It's it's software, it's such a commodity now in these days. And like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
the in terms of marketers though um look it's becoming much easier especially with like these no code low code tools to just build something yourself mm. i find that most marketers don't really i mean we love the idea of building a SaaS, but our core company competencies is usually building things like media businesses or like productized services um and it tends to be that like we'll always think first of all how will this product get distributed before we even try and build the product we try and build like a marketing funnel before we build the product it's, it's, it's a weird thing but like um yeah i'm seeing more and more marketers these days try and build something very quick um and they tend to be able to do it on the side as well while they are working full-time jobs so I just want to take another step back. So you gave us a very linear progression of going from uh, like you were working on your Dribble competitor, building it in Bubble, and then uh, you've got you've reached out to Bubble and you've done the blog series, and then you've started doing the videos. Uh, but there, you mentioned again in, in your tweets, and I think earlier on you mentioned that there's uh, a number of failures in there, uh, and I was just wondering where they fit into that timeline many um so i tried to build every business you could think of so i had like an e-commerce store i was selling physical products i built like a wait wait print what on physical demand shirt. um so i built like <laughs> my partner and i we had this poster in our living room of the brooklyn bridge and i remember every time i looked at it i was like wouldn't it be cool if the lights in the poster like could actually be lights that you could turn on like your fairy lights ran through the poster sounds great doesn't it brilliant idea (laughs) no calvin no (laughs) it was a horrible idea i spent four thousand dollars getting like an actual physical product developer to like research how the fuck we could fit fairy lights in a paper poster we built a product we 3d printed these custom clips i got a painting on it man like four grand and then not one person bought a poster. I ended up throwing them out a year ago because they were just collecting dust oh, in my house. Like brutal. it was heartbreaking. But again, no one felt sorry for me. <laughs> like, um, so I had to move on. Then after that, uh, so that was at the same time while I was building my dribble kind of clone. Okay. Um, so both of those failed about the same time. And that to me was like rock fucking bottom. Oh, yeah. And then at, I kind of came back from that and then I... Um, so when I spoke to the CEO of Dribble, he was like, you're looking at this wrong. Dribble is not a portfolio site. It's a job board. He was like, the portfolio site just gets designers here. Just create a job board, man. Like, he's like, you, you're getting drunk on features and trying to build shit. He's like, just make a job board, swallow your pride, charge like $300 for a job listing. You'll get to your target in a matter of like six months. Um, and so I tried to build like a, even at this point, I didn't listen to that advice. I tried to build like a, a job board built into a messenger chatbot because I thought that was cooler. And it was like every day you'd get like a, a job of the day that would automatically send to your message as a digital marketer. Um, with that idea though, I instead of building the product, I reached out to companies first. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm building. I have 10,000 marketers who have signed up. Uh, would you use this? And so I kind of tried to reverse engineer it. So that way if someone said, yeah, I'll pay for it. I'd be like, cool. Now I have to go and get 10,000 marketers and then come back to them and be like, okay, here's a Stripe portal. <laughs> like, um, So that was kind of my way around that. Didn't work, but that was fine. That was my first win because I didn't waste six months of my life trying to build something. Yeah. Um, as much as that sucked, I, it was fine. Then after that, I tried to build, um, it was like similar to like a job board for digital marketers, but it was more based on their values. So instead of searching for like, um, 
you know, is it a job in SEO or a remote job? It's like, I want to work at a company that, um, I don't know. I found a lot of job boards out there were catering to developers. So it's like you could yeah. search for places that like have pair programming, um, yep. very specific things to job uh, to developers, but nothing was catered to marketers. So it was like, um, yeah, you'd, you'd search by their culture values, I guess, is the way I'd put it. Um, and that worked. So I, well, I kind of did. <laughs> I Before I built the product, just cold emailed every tech company in San Francisco I could think of. And I got on calls with all the lead recruiters like Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn. It was insane, man. Like It was crazy to think that people would give me their time. And then I said, this is what I'm building. Here's a mock-up of what I built. If you buy in now, you'll get it at like a super discounted rate. Um, And then someone was like, yep, we'll pay for that. And then I was like, great. A week later, COVID came and just like recruitment gone. (laughs) And I was like, fuck, I was so close. (laughs) Like, Why COVID? And then so throughout COVID, I essentially, COVID was a beautiful time. For the first time in my life, I just felt like there was no pressure to do anything because no one else was. And it was very therapeutical. Um, But I didn't do nothing. I, I was like, this product's going to work. People have said they'll pay for it. What I need to do is start focusing on like, if it's a job board, there's supply and demand. The supply is the jobs, the demand is the marketers who are going to use it. And so I was like, let's just do a bunch of SEO stuff so that in a year's time when this pandemic's over, um, I'll be in a great spot in terms of the supply. I can go back to the demand. I just got burnt out. I was like writing so many blog posts for SEO. It started ranking very well. And then just after a while, I was like, no, this isn't it. Like I'm not really getting... Uh, a reward it was just like constantly working for nothing and then I burnt out and then uh, similar to what you mentioned Pat I opened it up one day and I was like I want to work on a side project and so that's Mm. what I did and I built like a print-on-demand store that made like indie hacker clothing so it was like an indie hacker clothing line where it just said like 100% bootstrapped on your shirt but like they were they looked good. They weren't like those startup shirts you see that's like, download my app in big writing. It was like, no, I want to make a designer label clothing yeah. look for indie hackers. Mm. And that that's where I got my first like revenue, I guess you could say online. Um, and I remember the day after I got my first sale, I literally closed the laptop. I went and sat in a park down the road. I just was on a swing for like an hour and I was like, I've made it. I'm a king. Like, <laughs> there's no stopping me now. I was like, I've clocked the game. I was like, people would pay to get these insights. Like, <laughs> and then, long story short, it was a clothing label. It's like, it's a physical product that's not very profitable. Uh, clothing's not like a problem. People wake up and they're like, shit, like I need to buy in yeah. clothing. Um, so it was more of a nice to have than a need to have. Um, and then... A couple months after that, I had the thing where the customer was like, hey, could you record a video course? And I was like, yeah, pay for it. That happened. And then I was like, yeah, this is it. So I was a long tangent, but yeah, it's been a long time, man. It was like from the time I quit my job, it took literally two years before I um, kind of got to a point where I knew I was comfortable in terms of making good money. And like, again, I only ever made $20,000 a year during that time just to cover my burn. Um, so yeah, it was a very hard, but exciting time. And I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad that I did that. I just on a personal note, cause I've always wanted to, there's always been this like thing in my head where it's like, you should build and ship a physical product. That'd be cool. Like, you know, going down to the post office with your big, you know, trailer full of little boxes and just shoving them across the counter once a week. How do you rate building physical versus being building virtual? Is there a preference? Um, 
don't do it. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Margins suck. There's nothing like software and media. Um, mm. The only time you should do physical is after you've mastered software first, because mm. then you, I think you're a bit more dangerous. You know what you're doing. You're a bit more inclined to start looking at how you can increase margins and efficiency. You've mm. got that knowledge. Um, yeah. I, I see a lot of like second time founders go more physical because they want something that's more challenging. Um, or is a bigger problem is to solve. fucking hard. It's a bigger problem to solve. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would not recommend it at all. Okay. But I'm with you, man. I love the idea of like, even now I'm like, oh, I just want something I can touch that I've created that's mine. Yeah. Like it's just- I want a warehouse. It would be so- you know? <laughs> Yeah, it'd be cool, man, to walk in, see your employees, give them a high five. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, yeah, it'd be, um, it'd be so good to get the big truck that comes in to take in shipments. That'd be great. <laughs> that does not appeal to me at all. I Okay. <laughs> get off the call. I'm not surprised. I am not surprised. <laughs> but I, I could give some context on that because Natty started in about 2016 or 2017. She, was, she yeah. started doing like hand pyrography. So nice. it's like, you know, looks like a soldering iron and burning art into wood. Very and cool. so she was actually like, she's, she's quite artistic and she was doing some quite amazing things. And so she started selling them on Facebook. And then when Kyle was born, she's like, oh, I want to make some Play-Doh stamps that are, um, you know, so like get a piece of wood, get a hand router and route like dinosaur shapes and dinosaur bones and dinosaur footprints into these tiny little bits of wood. And so she started doing that and then she put that on Facebook and it went like went pretty nuts for just like a post in Gold Coast. We had crazy. Oh, I think we did about $20,000 of the sale in a week. Something Holy like shit. that. Wow. Why did you not go all in on this? <laughs> so we then had to make them. So I don't know yes. if you remember that <laughs> Big Bang Theory episode where they're all sitting around making, I can't even remember what they were called, these little badge thingies. That's how okay. we felt. And that is like, all right. You need to be just chopping wood to like, and so we were going. <laughs> it's your job for the next week. <laughs> and so we had to go and buy like a better drop saw because uh, I was, and then it was just this manufacturing process. But um, and the other reason is anything that could be considered a toy has really high insurance costs, and so ah uh, okay. And each design of the stamp, and it's it's kind of borderline, right? Is it a toy? Is it not a toy? But if it is a toy, then you need this special kind of insurance. That insurance, you have to pay per stamp design. And we had like 50 different stamp designs and it was a non-trivial amount. So it was going to cost us (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars just to get the insurance and then tens of thousands of dollars a year for the insurance. And so these are- You should raise venture for it, Calvin, you know? (laughs) And then I'm like- And that is like, oh, yeah, we're doing really good. I'm like, I do not want to be spending every single evening chopping and sanding wood and then coating them in beeswax. Nah, I am out. I do software for a reason. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I like building stuff. For me, I do not like manufacturing. Yes. Uh, Isn't it Elon's quote that it's an order of magnitude or several orders of magnitude more difficult to manufacture something than it is to build a one-off? And so I'm like, I don't want to scale manufacturing. I don't want employees coming to my house and building stuff in my garage. We had a layer of sawdust about a centimeter thick throughout the entire garage uh, because we didn't have a dedicated space. And so, and so, like, we've got boxes, you know, stored up on storage on the walls, and that's all full of sawdust. When we moved out, yeah. It was just sawdust. What a everywhere. story, though. That's I love that. Yeah, that's always the good thing as well. Is uh, I, I think of every business that I start, 
I'm like, if it fails, worst case scenario, it'll make a great story or a blog post. Yes, exactly. like, that's, a good, that's a good idea for that one, Calvin. Yeah, and it was great. We learned we didn't want to do physical products. We're like, yep, we've tried that and we're not Lesson doing it learned. anymore. Or at least next time you've got to work with um, additive manufacturing, right? right? Sorry, subtract, yeah, additive rather than subtractive. So you don't just leave sawdust everywhere. <laughs> I will say the thing you. I did like about that was the excuse to buy lots of random toys. So like I've got laser engravers. <laughs> I've got lots of, I got two laser engravers that I built, that I bought from China. Uh, I've still got a CNC head for that laser engraver, which I still haven't put together. And this was years oh, ago. Uh, and then all of the tools, like, you know, drop saws and table saws and stuff that I wanted for building projects for me, I had the excuse yeah. to buy. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's a funny excuse to go to Bunnings, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the good thing as well is that at least you now know that you have what it takes to create value that people will pay for. Like, mm -hmm. it's um, that's always a good thing for your confidence as well versus just being in a desert and you're like, why are people, give me a dollar, so I want just anything. Um, it's the complete opposite, which is good. Yeah. And the so, flip side of that, Kelvin, is everyone here has now started a, a little side business, including oh, your wife. You're going to pile on me now. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> she was indie hacking before it was cool, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. Step it up. It's true. And like Natty doesn't suffer the same like, internal blocks that I do. She has no problems reaching out to anybody. She has no problems asking for help. She's an excellent salesperson. These are all things that are almost paralytic for me that I can't get over. You know what I mean? Like I've really got to push myself to get past those She blocks. should send you a Stripe payment link and just get you to sign up to her course right now. <laughs> I agree. Um, cool. So I, I really liked that. I, I, I really wanted to unpack that because I think it's really good to go through all of the, the failures as well because it's very easy just to see the positive side of everybody's journey without actually seeing those those little those, the steps along the way which is such an important part of the journey uh and again to for me that that failure of like that fear of failure uh is something i i really struggle with and i'm trying to push myself through uh, so it's yeah i appreciate that something um that i never thought about which is now becoming an issue as well so i'm about three years in from when i uh started doing well with the current product that I'm doing now. Um, and I remember thinking when I first started, I was like, uh, my ultimate goal is to make my old salary, which was $6,000 a month pre-tax. And I was like, that's all. If I had that, I could literally earn that for the rest of my life and I'd be a happy man. The problem is, is that when you get to the point where kind of I'm at now, you start to run into another issue, which is like the goalpost moves back mm. and it will constantly move back. And then life just becomes numb unless you start hitting those goals. And it's like, this is another huge problem that I'd never heard anyone talk about because most indie hackers, like the podcasts are all about, you know, how did you get from zero to one yeah. or one to three? But no one talks about what happens about when you get to 10. And particularly with a lifestyle business where we're not trying to be a billion dollar company or change the world, what happens when you have, when you're financially okay, when you have the lifestyle you want? Um, what does the day-to-day -day look like when that just becomes the norm? Like, remember at the start of the show, I was like, all I ever wanted to do was work from home in my pajamas. I have that, but that's the norm now. It doesn't excite me. And so it's like, I don't know, this has been a long journey I've gone through this year is just uh, having to deal with like, do I, does this bring me joy anymore? Do I want to sell this? What would I do if I didn't do this? Like, did I just get lucky with this one? Would I be able to do it again? Like, 
Um, it's something that no one really talks about. And it's also something that needs to be a kind of brought into the spotlight because these is a very real problem when you get here is, um, I don't know, wanting to do more and better. It's just who we are as humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's, that's one of the questions that I, I really wanted to go over. It's like, so what is next? Like, as in, you just said that your goal was a lifestyle business, right? You just wanted to be comfortable and have, have the freedom. Uh, to be able to do what you want. And so what are your goals now? Like where are you moving the goalposts to? It's a great question. And I've had many therapy sessions <laughs> trying to figure that out. Yep. Uh, the problem is, is that so like I own great money. I'm very happy with what I own from a financial standpoint. From a lifestyle standpoint, I'm so blessed as well. I have everything I want. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm in a great relationship. I control my time. Um, but it's kind of like, yes, I'm happy now but now it's becoming boring because mm. it's been like this for two, almost three years, as I said. Um, why can't I just be happy doing the exact same thing for the rest of my life? Because like, if I earned this money for the rest of my life, I'd be very well off. If I stayed this healthy for the rest of my life, I'd be very well off. But it's just not who I am. <laughs> I'm like, mm. the reason we got into this is because we wanted to be challenged and I'm not being challenged. So I think trying to, to answer your question about what's next, trying to find where else I can take this business, um, and that's been a challenging thing because so I essentially make online courses that teach people how to build apps. And I'm like, what could I do off the back of that? I have some ideas, but then I worry. I'm like, what if this is just a course business? What if there is no other way? What if it doesn't work out that I can't monetize it in other ways? Is that going to make me even more depressed? Because I'm just like, fuck, this is it. The downside as well. So every business has their poison. A SaaS business has churn. You have to deal with churn. I don't have that. For me, I'm in the content business, so I'm always on the content treadmill. So whenever I release a course, I have to release another one, and then I have to release another one. I always have to put out videos, essentially. And if I stop that treadmill, the whole business stops. Um, And I'm just like, I'm 28 now. Am I going to be 50 teaching people how to build apps in Bubble still, being like, what's up, YouTube? Like, yeah, let's, (laughs) let's dive into our editor. Like... I don't want to do that when I'm 15. <laughs> like, I it's really hard. Like, it, it's not hard from like, oh, you know, I'm physically sore, but like, fuck me, it's draining, man. And I'm yeah. just like, what is next? Can I scale this? Can I hire someone else and bring them on and train them? That's going to be more time. You know, it could be a good challenge though. Um, but the thing that excites me though is uh, recruitment. So recruitment and education are two problems that are never solved. You can have as many competitors as you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. People learn in different ways. People are hired in different ways. Um, there is an infinite amount of space for products there. And so I've done the education piece. I want to do the recruitment piece. How can I train people to become visual programmers? And as the world becomes um, like more prone to hiring visual programmers or as marketing teams need to upskill themselves and learn how to use Bubble so that way they're not so reliant on developers. Um, like, is that something that I can do in terms of like company training or training people up to then be hireable in that market and how can I get a slice of that pie kind of thing. So that's the direction that I'm looking to go in. I saw on your website, you do have like an inquiry form, like if you're looking for a freelancer, uh, is that part of that strategy? Um, A little bit as well. So like I, the start of this year, I created, I call it like the freelancing masterclass. It's uh, long story short, I I had a leaking bucket where essentially people pay that one-off fee, that's all they pay. Um, then they get access to all my courses. But what happens when, I mean, I want more out of my existing customers and most people would, they'd have a startup idea, they'd find bubble, they'd want to build their idea. It would take them about three months. 
their idea would most likely fail. Statistically, that's how it works. Like it's either a bad product or they just lost motivation in it. But they've just spent three months building this really useful skill, which is learning how to build software. So what could they do with that? Um, And then what I decided, I was like, what if I had an extra course that was like, this is how you start a freelancing business. You now know how to build software, but I'm not going to teach you any more about that. I'm going to teach you how to market, how to do sales calls. And in that course, I literally run through like scenarios where I'm talking to myself as like, I'm the freelancer and I'm also the boss of a company that like needs work done essentially. Um, and that was been good. So that's been a very successful thing so far. That's like good for expansion revenue. Um, and it gives people the ability to like start earning an income from the skills that I've already taught them, which is super rewarding. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's been nice. I also have like a, an agency I run on the side of it. Um, so, right. So that's what that uh, is. So like if somebody, people do, people do want something built in bubble, they can come to you and then you organize to like as an agency organized to have it built. Yes, except I was big on not selling time. I was like, I sell products, I don't sell time. But I had this guy from the States reach out to me and he was like, hey man, I bought your courses. I've started my own bubble agency. And I could just tell he had he had the riz is the word we use these days. He had, he had the sass, like he was good. And he, I was like, this guy's really good with his words. He's great at sales. Like, I think he's the real deal. So hopped on a call with him and he was like, this is how much I'm doing a month. I would love for you. I imagine Lachlan, you don't want to waste your time dealing with clients. You just want to re- record courses. And I was like, amen, you got me. And he was like, what if for every person you refer to me, I just give you a cut of that deal and you don't have to do anything else. You nice. just have to CC me on an email. Yep. And this guy's a gun, man. He's, he's really good at what he does. And it's nice to have someone else. It's just an extra revenue stream for me. It's, it's not huge, but it's, uh, it's certainly helpful. Yeah. And I, I get it's a nice marrying of products, right? Like people go and they want to build it in bubble, but they also just want to get, or they just want to get something done. I like that synergy where, yeah, you're just providing a sales pipeline for him and you get something in return. And it was one of those things where for years I had people who would reach out and be like, hey, can you build this for me? I got a budget of $10,000. And I was always just so stubborn. I was like, no, I don't sell time. I sell products. And then I was like, no, sorry, I can't help you. I can't help you. And it was kind of one of those things where the market pulled it out of me essentially. And then when I was finally like, yep, I've got someone, I'll CC them. They were like, brilliant. This is great. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah. It was in plain sight the whole time. That's, I wonder that's how... Oh, sorry. You go, Colin. Oh, uh, yeah. So, no, like similarly so um and this is like pat you worked with solid software um and i've referred like a lot of people will come to me it's like oh can you build this app for me i'm like no (laughs) because i don't want to be an agency but i do have an agency that i can refer to people which is nice because then you feel like you've helped them but you haven't you know committed your life uh to you know or committed your time just to that extra that extra piece of work absolutely I was just going to ask because you mentioned that you're, you're always that Gold Coast, Gold Coast, that goalpost seat keeps moving, right? You're always looking for the next thing, no matter like it. it I've, I've heard it before as well. With they, you know, they say that rich people are miserable, and you know, when you're at the bottom, you're just sitting there thinking, you know, like how? <laughs> uh, right. but be, because nothing's Must ever be good nice. enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing's ever good enough. They're always looking for more, more, more. Like they feel like they need to work towards something in their life, and I feel like that's just part of human nature as well. I feel like everybody, whether they understand that that it's, it is the goalpost moving or not, they just constantly want more, right? It's just like thing that drives us forward as human beings. But I was, I was just sort of wondering, like, it, do you, how much free time do you have? Would you ever consider another indie hacker business, another small business on the side, just to sort of play around with, just to sort of toy with, just to sort of do these things, just to try to see if you can replicate that again um, to take up a bit of that time? 
I have so much free time. Um, I channel a lot of it into fitness is a big thing for me. So like mm. I, I, I love just picking up new sports and learning them. Like nothing brings me more joy than that. Um, to answer your question though, no, I would never do that. I'm a attention in one product at a time. I have a list of so many product ideas. Whenever I have something, I write it down. I let it marinate. I look back at some of them and I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever thought of. Or I'm like, yeah, that could still work. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know, unfortunately. I would either just run this thing to the point where I can either sell it, which is probably unlikely because with a course business, like I am the business essentially. Yeah. Um, or one day I'm just going to be so over it. I will just shut it down and be like, okay, it's time for me to move on. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever, I get very distracted very easily. I used to be the biggest... Uh, I was so prone to shiny object syndrome and I, it, it affected me in a great way. So I was like, I'm not going down that path again, um, which, yeah, kind of sounds silly, but I just, I know what's going to work for me. So I just follow that. I think that's good. I think that also a, a really good thing that you can achieve is just sort of to understand yourself and to know what works for you and what doesn't, right? Um, like just, just similar, like the, the more you know yourself and sort of finally accept like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like and sort of put your attention towards that sort of thing, um, the more successful you're going to be. Absolutely. So work-life balance, it sounds like you've got a pretty good balance at the moment. You've got plenty of spare time. You're not working all the time. Uh, has it always been Absolutely. like that or is it that's just you've got to that lately? There's that saying, it's like, I quit my nine to five. So I could work 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> yeah. Um, look, that is partly the case, but to be honest, I've always been pretty good. Uh, I've always worked. I try and do like four day weeks or, um, so every day, for instance, I I'm, I'm non-negotiable on like fitness and exercise. So I do a bunch of different sports. I finish at five. I go to the gym for three hours and do a bunch of all my different sports and like that is what brings me joy. So that's always non-negotiable. So I always have that time. Um, the weekends, like I I also do all my hobbies, but I also will do some work, for instance. So it's like I'm either doing customer support emails in between coming to the house and leaving. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where if you, depends where you look at it. If you look at it from my partner's point of view, I work a lot. If you look at it from my friends who see me on Instagram, they're like, this guy doesn't work at all. Like, um, yeah, it's all about balance. I remember last year I went to my best friend's wedding and I was his best man. And like after 10 o'clock, I left the ceremony. Everyone was still partying. I had to build like the next product that I was going to teach on Bubble. Like um, it's kind of, you just got to find pockets of time where you can get work done and like Mm. uh, appreciate you're like, okay, I'm actually in the zone now. I'm going to let that happen. It's kind of the saying, it's like um, uh, work like a lion, not a cow. It's like a cow just grazes all day and, you know, does the minimum. Whereas a lion, you know, hunts, rests, hunts again. So that's kind of what I figured has worked for me. But work-life balance, absolutely. I have a great work-life balance. And that's the reason why I got into indie hacking. If I didn't want a work-life balance, I'd just start a VC company or I'd work at Deloitte or something like that. Um, uh, There's there's plenty of ways that I could, you know, find a prison that I'd be very uh, unhappy at. And uh, yeah, I think that's the main reason why indie hacking is so appealing because not only is it about, you know, making a good income, everyone wants that obviously, but it's that lifestyle. What's the point in having a good income if you don't have that lifestyle? Yeah, exactly. And I think because different drivers for different people, some people are just driven by the go big, you know, get a lot of money uh, and others like yourself. Yeah. And I, I'm very much in that bucket as well. It's, I would, I just want to own my time. Doesn't even, yeah, I, yeah it doesn't even matter how say- much money there is as long as I can own my time. For sure. I still have so much respect for anyone that does a VC company. Like I could not do it. It would be so difficult to raise 
venture, build a SaaS product. I couldn't even build SaaS is so difficult. I even for you guys, I take my hat off if you're building a SaaS. Like it's mm. it's not for me. I can't do it. Like it's um I just realized what I'm good at and it's not that. So certainly I'm glad there's people out there who are doing it because they're the people who are gonna progress the world. I'm just here living in my own little caveat of the world being happy. <laughs> but like I, I take my hat off for their their dues that they're doing. So I was wondering, like your business at the moment is very tied to Bubble as, you know, like it, you're basically adjunct to them. So there's an inherent risk involved in like Bubble still being a successful business and, and needing uh, these types of courses to help people. Uh, is that is that something that you worry about or you're just happy to play it out? Um, bit of both. So in the beginning, it was a huge advantage. So... Writing waves is the best thing you could do. And right now the, the current wave is AI and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so like with Bubble, the faster they grow, the faster I grow. So like it's fantastic because I'm not doing all the marketing work. Like they're doing part of it for me as well. They're getting people into the funnel, into the ecosystem. Um, and then I'm just there providing a solution. Mm. So in the beginning, it was great. And uh, it was very easy to build in an existing market than create a brand new market. Um Nowadays, yeah, I'm a little bit scarce about it just because um, like Bubble as a tool isn't growing as quickly as I would like. And it's just, it just goes back to that blog post I wrote about like, this is what I would do if I worked at Bubble. There's so many different things that I see and I'm like, you guys are doing this wrong. Like, please read the blog post I wrote. Like, um, Yeah, it's very different. The one thing you should know though, Calvin, is that you will always have platform risk. And a yeah. great example of this is, okay, you have a SaaS, you built it yourself. What happens if Stripe cancels your account? Like you're mm-hmm. fucked. Where how are you going to process payments? Like I've seen that happen to people. Um, there will always be platform risk, even if you're building a mobile app. What happens when VR yeah. becomes a thing? Like you're fucked. Like you're going to have to rebuild it. So I think for me, the biggest thing is uh, I will deal with it when it becomes a problem, which is such a either an idiot or a genius thing to say. I'm yet to find out what I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. There's only so many problems you can do deal with. And even in software, I <coughs> I try not to solve problems that I don't know are a problem. It's like because you can speculate. Beautiful. And if you spend a lot of time speculating what the whole problems what the problems might be, you'll never get anything done because there's so many potential problems. And so if you don't 100%. know something is going to be a problem, well then why deal with it? You know, plan your best as best you can for it, but don't let it hamper your your progress. Uh, I wondered because there's a lot of there's a lot of no code tools popping up now uh, with different levels of functionality, and I haven't played with Bubble yet, so I don't know how good it is. Uh, something I told so Natty, my wife, she's just done a UX design course, and I got her to learn uh, Webflow as part of that as well. Just if she ever wants Beautiful. to do websites for, you know, we've got lots of friends with traditional businesses, and they don't know how to get websites. And I'm like, well, you can start up your own little agency if you wanted to, just building building and maintaining sites for them. Um, so, but there's, I also said to her that, uh, learning, there's a technology called Flutterflow, uh, which Ooh, is yeah. a no code tool for, for building Flutter apps. And I said, well, you know, if you've got time, maybe have a look at that as well, because that's a, you know, you can write no code or you can write code, you know, it's got the ability to extend it, which I think is yeah. an excellent way to mitigate the risks of going in on a no code tool. Uh, cause you know, you're, you're inherently, you're limited by the platform. Uh, however, you know, and that might not be a limit. I don't know well enough, but there's that fear, I suppose. And her learning that product is like, okay, great. If we hit a wall, we can just export it and then, uh, and you know, just pick it up and I can write the rest of the code. 
Uh, have you considered branching out into, because it's still the same business, I suppose it doesn't really fit under the Build It With Bubble banner, uh, but it is still the same business building courses. Is that something you would consider? It's like diversifying in and comparing and contrasting different no-code tools? I have a lot of domains, which is just building with. Right. Into a product tool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, it's crossed my mind. Uh, I'm not more worried about other tools. I'd be more worried about AI. Uh, what happens in a world where you don't even need no code? Everything's just through the written word. It's like, build me this that has this features. Mm. And then in that case, like, we're all fucked, aren't we? <laughs> like, because what happens when every single person in the world who can type now is a software developer? Like, that to me is what scares me more than platform risk. Um, for me, when I first used Bubble, again, I had that, I really had that aha moment. I was mm-hmm. like, this is the future of it. So with Bubble, the reason why it is so popular, you can add custom JavaScript. You can decouple oh, your front end cool. with a complete, you can link it to AWS, you can link it to Firebase, whatever you want as a backend. Like it truly is so malleable and it does so much. So I'm still a big, I'm bullish on Bubble. That'll be my detriment or it'll be the, yeah, what causes my uh, downfall or my rise. Um but yeah, I have thought about doing other tools. The thing, I, reason why I haven't is because um, a lot of people in my space have done that and they do okay. They're not just great at one thing. They're kind of just good at everything else. Like they have a mediocre course business because they make a couple courses here, a couple courses there. With Bubble, I'm just the domain expert in Bubble essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it does give you an advantage because I know if I'm looking for a course, I would pick the course from the person that is all in on that product. I would probably mm, go and yeah. watch some videos of some other people just comparing and contrasting before I decide what product I'm going to use. But then if I'm actually going to learn, I definitely would go, okay, this person, this is all they do. So obviously, you know. For sure. And look, as, as I said, like I am very aware that that could be the worst decision I make. Absolutely. But I think I'm just at peace with that. I'm like, I'd rather just do it my way and say like, you know, I went all in versus oh, I didn't go hard enough and I missed out. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's a binary. It's either I fail or I win. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I suppose, as you mentioned, you don't want to be doing this forever. So if it comes to a natural, <laughs> logical conclusion, well, then you pick up one of the other squillions of product ideas you've probably been writing down in the meantime and, and go through the journey again. Yeah. Pat, you mentioned before you were like, you know, have you considered doing other products? I can't explain to you how close I was to making open AI courses. <laughs> oh, man. If I was anyone right now, I would just cold outreach to every fucking SMB and be like, your employees will need to know how to use Dale, ChatGPT, Whisper. Yes. Here's yep. my courses that break it down to people who can understand it like a five-year-old. Like there would be so much more money than what I'm doing right now to be made in that industry. I'm just not putting my time and attention into it, but holy fuck, I've been close. <laughs> and I, I know when, like I know that fear about AI, right? When we saw ChatGPT3, uh, Kelvin and I both were just extremely worried. Like there's almost this like yeah. dread that just fills you that's, oh crap, I'm going to be replaced. What am I going to do? I was even considering alternate careers. I'm like, could I be a baker? I like making food. <laughs> Me too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no but then slowly we sort of realized that, hey, this thing is actually really good if we utilize it and it's just not yes. capable of replacing us yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we actually, like, I, I use AI tools every day at work. I chat to ChatGPT. It's faster than Googling something and I get a more personalized response anyway. Uh, and yeah. everyone in the office uses it. We use AI code completion. It's much faster to use that as well. I use AI git commit message summaries. It's it's easier than typing my own. I, I sort of wonder, 
I, I take the point now of people who are very, um, like very bullish on AI and that sort of what are they what do they call it the accelerationist future uh, of future people the EX, which is that AI will make your life better and it will make you more productive. It won't just replace you. But I can also sort of see that toss up that maybe once it's good enough, it just might. But I wonder how far into the future that actually is. It's surprising how many people still haven't heard of ChatGPT. People who Those haven't even touched crazy. it. Yeah, yeah my sister's tried, a teach. Um... Yeah, my sister's a, a teacher at a university. She just refused to touch it straight out because it's the, the university's policy that they do not like ChatGPT and students shouldn't be yeah. using it, which I think is stupid. And she finally sat down and tried it one day, just recently. You know, how many years has it been this thing been out yet? And I just get this series of text messages. Number one, holy shit. Number two, like, is it, how is this real? Number three, it just gave me everything I wanted. And then I was like, now ask it to summarize that in a poem, but beginning with words that only begin with the letter Q. And I get like another message five minutes later. Are you fucking joking? Right. I'm just like, (laughs) this is the future, right? It's this like ultra, ultra friendly, compatible thing that works with you to achieve something. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that sort of doesn't turn around and end up replacing me but like serious that, that feeling of dread that it's going to replace us like we were totally there it took me a long I had time a to full go existential crisis like i'm like yeah ah, what am i doing with my life like am, am yeah. i going to go to language teaching or take an electrical apprenticeship <laughs> or uh, what am i and yeah i, I really because i took like six weeks Calvin, off. it'll still be a better language teacher than you come on <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what i'm building right i'm literally building that app to be a language teacher yeah but I think a lot of people have had that thought as well about the AI courses because, man, I'm sick of my Twitter feed being like, yeah, this new AI tool and you're doing AI wrong. I'm like, I just don't want to see it anymore. I don't care anymore. Yeah. It's actually gotten to I the point it. where if I have like an, a, like an idea, I'll just tweet it because I'm just like, I'm never going to touch this ever. Like it might be an okay-ish idea that someone can make work, but it's not going to be me. I don't have the time. I've got too much crap to work on anyway. So I just tweet it out so I can just like log it somewhere. <laughs> Maybe someone else can pinch it if they want to, but at least it's like it's gone. Um, it's, it's gotten out of my head now and I can sort of just say, okay, well, it's out. Uh, but yeah, no, no, 100%. I completely agree on that too. I love that. Okay, so I think it's the last question I had in my list and it was resources. So the zero to one and the one to many. Uh, the two different problems we kind of touched on at the beginning. Uh, do you have any like any resources that stood out to you as the the best that help you get from yeah from the zero to one step, and then again from yep. the one to many because that's obviously that's where there's less resources available. Hmm. Yeah. So zero to one, the Indie Hackers podcast. Um, try and go back to like the very beginning because their most recent episodes. Well, they don't do it anymore to start with. Um, so it's in this nice little time capsule. But the if you're not familiar with Indie Hacker's podcast, it's essentially just essentially what we're doing now. People would come on with Indie Hacker business, but they would be fully transparent about everything. They were like, this is what I'm making. These are the channels I'm using. Um, these are the exact strategies I'm using as well. So it was incredibly useful. It was like being in a desert looking for information. Yeah. And then I just found a fucking pond and I was like, wow, I'm going to drench myself in this. It was so insightful. And even just like... Um, Podcasts, for me, are just a great way to feel like I'm around people having real conversations. Yeah, like, like oh, these are my friends telling yeah. me this. So zero to one, Indie Hackers, definitely. So can I just, one, can I just inside, inside, did you say they're not doing the Indie Hackers podcast anymore? No. So Indie Hackers is like that? an indie company now. Yeah, like, that's right. That? I, I listened yeah. to that episode where they announced that they went indie again. 
Yeah. But I haven't um, haven't touched it since then. And so the podcast is no, gone. Gone. Um, they're just focusing on the newsletter. That's where their paid ads are. And then the site, essentially, which is kind of disappointing because I never really used the site as much as I listen to the podcast. Yeah. Um, the site is just like a pool of self-promotional stuff, people trying to like get their first customers, essentially. So I lost a lot of value. Um, but yeah. Okay. So uh, thankfully, it's in a time, time capsule, capsule where yeah. we can listen to all the best episodes. That doesn't um, bode well for our podcast, Colin. We've got to get a website and a newsletter immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but for, so zero to one indie hackers podcast, one to, let's say 10, uh, my first million, that podcast. I don't know if you guys listen to it. Yeah, I know of Um, it. I haven't listened to it. Terrible name for a podcast. Best podcast you'll ever listen to. They are the Jedi's on the midwit chart. They just, you would think they're idiots, but they are just, they break things down into such simple terms. But the biggest bit of value I get out of that is just, their their mindset or the way that they think about things. Mm. Um, So I don't get as many actionable insights as I would for indie hackers. But like when I listen to my first million, I feel like I've got two friends hyping me up and they're like, you know, you can do this. It's so simple. Um, You know, this is what we did in the past. These are some stories that we've heard. Um, And it kind of just feels like I've got a support group with me, even though I've never met the people in my life. And um, I'm sure they don't know I exist. But the best thing of everything, zero to one, one to 10, 10 onwards, is to just do it. The easiest way to learn is the hardest way. Sorry, yeah, is by doing the hard things essentially. So just go and figure it out yourself. It's very lonely and isolating at times. That's the unfortunate reality. If you don't like that, don't start a business, please, because you will not do well in it. But just go learn, fail a bunch, learn from it again, um, and just continually just build yourself as a person and a business. And I guess I was also going to ask on that as well, which is that, you just answered the question. Damn it. <laughs> just, how do you know when to get started? Two steps ahead of you. Yeah, exactly. You're like reading my mind. The silliest take I ever heard someone say was that they can't do this sort of thing, that they can't build a startup, they can't build a SaaS, they can't build an indie hacking business because they're based in Australia. And I just remember hearing that. And I was just yes. like, I think there's a lot more of us than you seem to understand. I think this is that Australians don't have this, you know, boasting sort of nature about it. So you just don't hear it as often. Uh, like how, how big is the indie hacker scene in, in Brisbane, even alone? Like, do you, do you hang out with other indie hackers? Is there like an indie hacker telegram group that you get into once you reach a certain <laughs> MRR or what happens? <laughs> it's quite the opposite, actually, with indie hacking. All the people at lower MRR in the Telegram groups. It's mm-hmm. the people who are killing it because they're not boasting about it or talking about it. Mm-hmm. So what I did this year, I started feeling really lonely because I was at a point where I was, I'd gone from zero to one and I didn't really have any peers that I could share like personal stories about all struggles that I'm working with, whether it be in my business or in my personal life. And so I felt like I couldn't relate. Every time I caught up with um, people going from zero to one, I was like, here's some advice. Um, but I was never getting anything out of it in a way. Mm. Like no one was pulling me up. I felt like I was always pulling them up. Um, so what I did was I actually just went on like the Queensland government website and Queensland government has a bunch of grants that they give out to small businesses that are scaling internationally. Mm. And they have testimonial videos of the people who they gave grants to. And so I just started cold emailing all these people and I was like, Hey, I've been following your business. Can we please catch up? I was like, we can go anywhere you want. You want to go for a walk? We'll go for a walk. You want to get a coffee? We'll get a coffee. I'm like, here's three specific questions I have for you. The same playbook that I ran before. Hmm. And so I've just been trying to meet a bunch of interesting people who can stimulate me, make me think bigger. Um, And that's kind of how I'm still, I guess, growing in that sense in terms of my network around me now. 
Um, I definitely did used to feel like in Australia we were kind of so isolated and I was like, poor me, you know, but the internet's huge. Like in reality, probably 10% of my customers are Australians. Um, So like you can serve anyone across the world as long as they have an internet connection. So think big, I guess. And I think you just um, mentioned a cool little indie hacking idea, man. So you can build like an app where you can talk to other late stage indie hackers anonymously and you can have these like little conversations. And if you want to, you can both reveal your identities and go meet up and have a chat and a beer or something like that. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Absolutely. (laughs) The, The one business I've always wanted to build in the future, and I think I will, is just like, it's so simple. It's just a peer-to-peer network group of like successful people where it's like, hey, you have to have do, be doing like 500K monthly recurring, oh, sorry, annual recurring revenue, or you have to have exited a business to get in, like where there's such a threshold. Indie Hackers as the, the podcast or even the community itself had like a, a graduation problem where all the good people graduated, they left, they yeah. shut their mouths, they never shared anything else. Um and there's just something about like even Calvin, when you mentioned, you know, hey, do you want to come on this podcast? I was like, can we do it in person? Because I was like, yeah, I just want to be, I want to be able to hug you. I want to be able to feel the energy come off you. And yeah, it's yeah. like, I remember back in 2017, I was like, if it's not in the cloud, I don't fuck with it. I was like, technology is the only way I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm like, I just want to be around yeah, physical people yep. and share. Let's, let's draw shit on a whiteboard. Let's just like, um, there's something stimulating about that. There's actually, I've been, I got a picture to you, Kelvin. There's actually some places we can rent in Brisbane, which are just podcasting or recording studios. We could actually just queue everything up for one day, just take a day off and just try and record all these just session after session after session. Because I agree with you. Like, there's that energy you get from being in person. And this is why I actually kind of prefer working from the office rather than working from home after working from for home sure. for God knows how many years. I just like <laughs> seeing my coworkers and actually like talking to them and like waving to them and going to get lunch with them and stuff like that. There's just that energy you get from other people that you just don't get through a zoom call you know 100 percent. i like even after this zoom call i'm probably going to close my laptop i'm going to look around and be like still here by myself (laughs) 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 yeah i get it and it's so weird because we were always like oh well i was i was like remote work is the only way to do it like why are people wasting money on offices i Mm. see why everyone went back to an office it makes perfect sense to me now and honestly, if I had if I had an office ten minutes walk from my house, I'd go to it. Yeah, but that's the caveat. Yeah, it's no, got to be convenient. It's got to be convenient as well. Because <laughs> well. you know, for me, I'm not here by myself. It's school holidays. I'll finish this Zoom call and go out and you know have lunch with my son. Uh, so yeah, and like I'm not willing to spend an hour and a half each, each way to get to an office these days because like I just you know what I mean that's three hours of my life that I don't get to hang out with my son. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do also, when you said in person, I'm like, that's such a good idea. I don't even know how to do an in person. Like, how do you even record in person? What do, do we need any gear? How do we, how do we get good sound quality? I said this total, like, wow, that's an amazing idea, but I have no idea how to do that. Just got to get a portable mic and you'll be sweet. Yeah. And here's, <laughs> a, here's a actually the opposite sick- question of what Kelvin just asked. Cause I feel like, like Kelvin, you just want to spend more time with your family. You're a really cool dad. I totally appreciate that. But <laughs> Like how, how do you also, how do you explain to your, like to your partner that, Hey, there, there's like this boundary that I need to have. I know, like, I want to spend time with you. Like we are in a relationship. However, like this is very, very important to me. It has to be done or it's not going to progress. Did you ever have any troubles with anything like that? Was there like, it's like a solution to it's like a, an argument that, that you had to have to, in order to get that freedom to do these things? Cause leaving a wedding at, at 10 and then going out to work on your business. Like I, I get it. I 100% get it, right? These things need to be done. 
um, unfortunately, it had cuts into it. Like, what was that experience like for you? No, that's a really good question. So I always say that, like, my partner is as much of the business as I am. Like, mm. without her, like, none of this would exist. Some of the best ideas have actually come from her. And then I've just implemented <laughs> them because she's got that outside perspective yeah. um, that I don't have. Um, look, I think just her being able to see that, like, this actually brings me joy. Although I am suffering right now and I'm in tears because, you know, the fifth product didn't work. Like, I'm actually fucking loving this. This is where I thrive. Yeah. Like, this is what brings me joy. Like, I, I love it. If she if she ever saw, like, wow, I really don't want to do this, um, obviously it'd be a different story. But, yeah, just finding a really supportive partner and being able to, like, have really good communication, which is obviously such a cliche thing to say, but it's mm-hmm. just, like, every night just check in before bed and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is who I spoke to today. This didn't work, but I'm thinking of doing this because you can have – I guess, empathy, but without context, it doesn't really mean anything. She could just be like, oh, poor Lachlan, I'll pat you on the back. But if she's like, oh, I'm sorry, that meeting didn't go well. Did you consider next time, like, asking this instead? It's like, bless. Like, you actually understand it. Um, Mm. And it's also just trying to make sure that everything's not about you. Um, Although, you know, you are on this important journey, you also need to be a good partner still. You can't just, because you're building a business, that's not a just a free pass to just be a shitty partner. Like you still need to make sure you're there in their life, supporting them where you can um, and just trying to be a good person and a good partner, which, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes easier said than done. (laughs) Change for me has been buy-in as well. Like Natty is fully invested in, like I don't start an idea. Like I didn't start the language learning app idea without her buy-in first. And I need her. Like the fact that she's now done the complementary skill set to mine and she has a very complementary skill set. It's like we're now doing this as a partnership. And so if I say, sure. I'm sorry, tonight I've got to do extra hours uh, because you know I need to get something done, do you mind doing the dinner and bedtime routine? It's fine because she's bought into it. It's not I'm doing it. I'm not telling her what's going awesome. on. It's a, Yeah, it's, a, it's very much a partnership. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, the co-founders, they have equity. <laughs> like, mm. it, they should be incentivized to help you as much as you need, I guess. I try and explain it to my son as well because, like, I've gone through periods where I have to work a lot. And he's hasn't gotten it in the past, but I just go through the motions because that's what I wanted to do. It's like I would explain to him, even though he's not getting it and he's, it's really hard to get him to pay attention, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be working a lot for the next X amount of weeks. But after that, sure. I'll have some time off and it'll be me and you and we'll go to the park a lot and go to Movie World or whatever. Uh, and so I try to explain it to him as well because, again, he is also a co-founder. Like, he is part of this. And he's and so sure. I find it's because I didn't get that when I was growing up that but I didn't understand why I just didn't see my parents. And so I want him to at least understand. But also it gives accountability to me because I'm making a commitment to him. It's like, okay, I'm doing this now, but in X amount of weeks, you know, this is this is the time I have to give back to you. And so and I don't like if I say that I'm gonna do it. Gonna do it. I like. I really want that to be a part of you know, my ethos. It's like you know, if you commit to something, then do it. And so I'm making that commitment to him, and he knows that as well. And so he'll be like, "How many weeks to go, Dad? <laughs> Four more weeks." He's like, "Okay, Dad. Like, Thank- Daddy, have you shipped it yet?" Yeah, and like, right. No. And he's like, "Stop being such a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I, I want him to come in and say, "Have you validated that idea, Dad? Send a cold email." <laughs> Where's your strike payment, I love Dad? Yeah. <laughs> it's also like I really want him to grow up having a completely different, a non-employee mindset. Uh, and we're kind I of- was about to ask that. That's the one thing I want to know is 
like how do you plan on raising a child are you going to explain the way you're gonna be like the world of work is a sham as you know it or are you gonna be like if you want a full-time job sure if that makes you happy or are you just gonna be like you should always be tinkering or something like that yeah i'm trying to get him into the tinker and build stuff mindset uh and brainwashing a little bit in the you know like i give him like robotics things to build and because i like it as well i would honestly i'll like i will help him do whatever he wants to do uh, but I will obviously influence him in the things that I'm interested in so that we can do those things together. And I think he's got that yeah. kind of mindset. But for me, I, that's it. Like, I just don't want him to think that it's, you know, get a job and get into debt and then work for the rest of your life. Like, that's not the life I want him to live. I want him mm-hmm. to be able to make the decisions. It's like, yes, if I want a full-time job, I can do that. Or if I, you know, if I want to just earn enough so that I can survive and surf all day. Like, if you want to become a pro surfer, then go for it. Like, just... Yeah, have the control of your life and and be able to, yeah, don't be in the system, right? Be allowed to step out and self-reflect and decide what it is that you want to do. Don't do something Uh, that's going to make you miserable, right? Because there are alternate pathways that you can go through. There are alternate pathways. And I wish I'd been born just like a little bit earlier to see that original dot-com boom, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Mm. everything taking off just so I could have invested. But (laughs) <laughs> also, I'm, I'm actually like, I'm really ha- lucky that I was born when I was, right? When technology was still taking off, it hadn't gotten too crazy, too, um, too, too, too locked into these big players. And also to see other people like Mark Zuckerberg, people like Elon, people like these people just go from ordinary to just ex- extraordinary through nothing but hard work and technology, right? You build the right thing and you'll be able to sell it to people. I was I was very lucky to see that because I feel like a, a lot of people didn't have their, their lives when they were growing up, right? Depending on the time period that they came up in, getting a job and a stable income was the most important thing. That was the safest thing you can possibly do. And you can still do it today. It's just that there are alternatives that people just don't explore. That makes sense for sure. All right. Sorry, that's my little little history chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the Roman Empire sometime. We'll put that on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I uh, I only know that reference because I saw one video about the yeah the Roman Empire, and I don't even have the full context. Somebody 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 tweeted yeah. about shelving, and I'm like, what is shelving? And I Google shelving, and all I get is like shelving units. I'm like, how do I find out what this trend that I don't know is? And am I too you don't old? Know shelving from from, from nah. version management? No, nah. it still exists in JetBrains. You can shelve changes uh, if you don't want to um, put them into your commit. No, it's something else. It's like some trend. Uh, you boys need to go to a music festival, I think, is that See? what they're referring there we to? Go. Oh, what? Like, <laughs> oh, God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not cool yeah. anymore. <laughs> Excellent. When security gets in the way, there's I'm, only one way to get through. I'm not I was like, shelling. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's just do like a, a bit of a wrap up. So, Lachlan, tell us uh, or tell the listeners how they would find you if they if they want to check out what you're doing. Yeah, look, the best way, um, I don't really post much, unfortunately, anymore anyway. Um, but if you ever want to have a chat with me personally, my email is Lachlan Kirkwood, the number one at gmail.com. If you just want to follow my Twitter account, which is pretty inactive these days, it's just at Lachlan Kirkwood and I'm at Lachlan Kirkwood across any platform. Yeah, just search for that and you'll find me. Uh, and on a side note, I saw some pretty sick BMX moves and flippy things that you on your Twitter feed. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. No, that's that's what brings me joy. It's weird. So my Instagram account has nothing to do with my work. It's just like I ride a freestyle BMX bike. That's my sport essentially. And like 
that's all my account is nothing in my personal life, nothing in my work life, but I'll still get people like DM me on Instagram. They're like, Hey, I'm stuck at this part of your course. Can you like help me here? <laughs> and I'm like, just leave, please. Like send me an email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you make that kid? Like I have a Twitter, I have a Twitter account for that. Right. Yeah, yes. I like that detachment no, between Instagram and, and Twitter, right? It's like Instagram's for personal and then Twitter's for everything else. For sure. Uh, cool. And Pat? As always, you can find me on x.com forward slash patsnacks or on our website at techhuddle.show. And that's got all my socials on there. That's got my LinkedIn on there. Feel free to connect. Send me out something and happy to talk anytime. Yeah, cool. And I'm at Kelvin Bullwinkle on, uh, on Twitter or X. And uh, it's probably easier just to go to techhuddle.show and click on the link because you probably can't spell Bullwinkle. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. Can you believe he honestly considered changing everything to Bulkwinkle because he thought it was so cool? Well, somebody somebody misspelt it. I'm like, Bulkwinkle, that's pretty good. It just reminds me of the Harry Spotter YouTube video. Uh, Have you seen Harry Spotter? Oh, man. Go and look up Harry Spotter. It's amazing. It's just yeah. We'll, we'll put it, it in the links. <laughs> yeah, which I'm not. I'm not trying to bulk, but I just like Bulkwinkle. I thought that was cool. But thank you very much for joining us today, Lachlan. Like seriously, we seriously appreciate this. This has been a really fantastic chat. I know Kelvin is walking away from this super motivated, and even me. I'm going to go back and listen to the start of the podcast like straight away. Yeah, and motivated as hell, and then quit my job today. But no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm honoured. They'll be like, "Why are you doing this?" Lachlan told me yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You go listen to the podcast. Just send the. Podcast. Podcast in an attachment in the email. I quit. See attachment. <laughs> yeah, again, it's been awesome to chat for me. Again, yeah, I've had a lot of takeaways out of this, and I am going to reevaluate my game plan and set up a payment portal uh, and try and convince like Maddie that you know I, I can work less and and get more into this. I love to hear it. You got it. All right, I'm going to stop right, the recording. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. <laughs>